Good day to you, and welcome to Fascinating. I'm your host, Rick, from Planet Vulcan. Our editors have been gathering evidence and presenting arguments with the aim of convincing you that control is an illusion. The following essay continues in that vein. Contributing editor Bojalasta Obregado submits the following, in collaboration with my earthling friend, mathematician Paul Ryan, Ph.D. Imagine it if you have not seen it, and remember it if you have. A strong river current flowing into advancing ocean surf. The river's current has kinetic energy, and so do the ocean's waves. What happens when these energies tangle? Go and watch it again. You will observe that the tangling triggers an astonishing amount of complexity, both in the ocean's waves and in the river's current, and things happen that might seem counterintuitive until you see them with your own eyes. For instance, the ocean's waves continue to propagate up the river against the river's current for quite some distance and without diminished speed. The current and the waves, both singly and together, sculpt the riverbed, including the ground on the sides of the river's channel and the ground on the bottom, in complex patterns. And the sculpted ground, in turn, influences the flow of the water in a complex interplay. The wave action that continues upstream erodes the sides of the channel, contributing to the river's meandering and the formation of a delta. This is an example of a dynamical process with fractal characteristics that occurs in nature, one of a vast number of such dynamical processes. For much of Earth's recorded history, there have been hints, especially in the world of art, of an understanding of fractals. See, for example, the waves and clouds in the, in the paintings of Katsushka Hokusai, a Japanese artist who lived about 200 years ago and whose work was introduced to Europeans during his lifetime. The Asian concepts of yin and yang also demonstrate a kind of fractal structure. I am told that any manifestation of yang can be further divided into its own yin and yang, and vice versa, and so on ad infinitum. This is an instance of the fractal principle of self-similarity across different scales. Modern thinking about fractals began in the field of weather forecasting. A meteorologist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology by the name of Edward Norton Lorenz more or less stumbled upon the idea of deterministic chaos and recognized it as significant. In a famous story, Lorenz, who was working on computer-assisted numerical weather forecasting, was running some computer simulations of weather outcomes involving a particular set of variables. At one point, he wanted to repeat the simulation that he had already run, but this time he started it in the middle instead of at the beginning to save time, using as input the data as it was printed out at that point in the original run. To his amazement, he then observed a significant departure in the results produced by the second run compared to the results of the first run. The explanation turned out to be that the data that served as inputs to start the new run had been rounded. The minute variations between the actual numbers and the rounded numbers was enough to send the simulation on a qualitatively different path. 
Shortly after Lorenz's heyday, the brilliant and intuitive French mathematician Benoit Mandelbrot published The Fractal Geometry of Nature. This treatise, with its rigorous quantitative exposition, opened previously unimagined vistas in science and philosophy. Prior to Mandelbrot's work, mathematical descriptions of the natural world were limited to things that could be thought of as smooth, differentiable in math-speak. Think of a sine wave, for example, which has a definable tangent at every point. Mandelbrot showed us that you can also employ mathematical methods to describe things that are rough, i.e. things with corners, which do not have definable tangents at every point, even though they might be continuous. Think, for example, of the steam rising from your morning cup of coffee. For a certain distance, this steam might rise along a predictable path in what is referred to as a laminar flow. But the path then quickly becomes turbulent as it continues to rise. The resulting pattern is so complex and varied that it becomes impossible to predict. If you can imagine yourself very small and riding on a particular water molecule within the steam, there is no way that you would be able to predict with any confidence where the molecule you are riding on will be in the near future if the flow is turbulent. Traditional methods of mathematics can deal with laminar flows, but not so well with turbulent flows. The methods of fractal geometry cannot make precise predictions, but they can reveal useful insights into the evolution of complex systems and the attractors and strange attractors that function within these systems. I'm calling attention to fractal geometry because it reveals something quite valuable as we pursue our aim of creating a meaningful worldview, namely that any valid worldview must take into account the fundamental unpredictability of natural phenomena. To understand nature's unpredictability, it's enormously helpful to understand fractals at some level. If you are among the few who can deal with the formal mathematics Mandelbrot gave us, good for you. But even without much training in mathematics, you can still gain useful insight into fractals. You might want to read Mandelbrot's memoir called The Fractalist, which he worked on all of his life, and which was published shortly after he died in 2010. The memoir reveals fascinating details about his intellectual journey from childhood on, and about his rare intellectual gifts particularly his unusual ability to create visualizations of mathematical concepts as a key to deep understanding. You can also gain some familiarity with, with a few basic concepts of fractal geometry from the remainder of this installment. One key concept already alluded to above is self-similarity across scales. An example that helps illustrate this idea is a coastline where the ocean meets the land. If you look at the coastline from high above, you will see the rough irregularities in the coastline, that is, the inlets and the salients. If you zoom closer, you will see irregularities that you did not notice from higher up. As you continue to zoom, new irregularities will continue to appear 
and they look the same, that is, just as rough somehow as the irregularities you see from any other altitude. This phenomenon will continue even if you zoom down to the microscopic level. In fact, you will not be able to tell just by looking at the irregularities in a photograph at what altitude a particular photo was snapped. For a truly dramatic illustration of self-similarity, search YouTube for Mandelbrot Set Zoom. The Mandelbrot Set is probably his most widely known contribution, and it is generated by a large number of iterations of a relatively simple equation, where the outputs of one iteration are used as inputs for the next iteration. The images look the same, that is, they have the same roughness no matter how far you zoom in or out. Another helpful concept is fractal dimension. You might have encountered a fractal image somewhere or other and noticed that its fractal dimension might be given as, for example, 2.7. What does such a thing mean? At this point I have heard people respond with indignation, conclude that mathematicians are wacko, and it's a waste of time trying to understand such an abstract thing as fractal dimension. We all know there are three spatial dimensions in the world we live and move in, and apparently one temporal one. Common sense tells us that any object exists in some integer number of dimensions. But there is a useful meaning of fractal dimension that is not all that difficult to understand. Think, for example, of a two-dimensional plane, and to begin with, think of it as an empty space. Then imagine that you place a simple object in that space, for example, an equilateral triangle. An equilateral triangle can be transformed into a fractal object known as a Koch snowflake. The triangle's first transformation is accomplished by replacing the middle third of each of the three sides with a new outward-pointing equilateral, equilateral triangle. The first iteration of this transformation will give you a six-pointed star. Transform it again by applying the same algorithm to each straight-line segment all around the new figure. Do this again and again as many times as you like. Note that each iteration uses up a little more of the two-dimensional space in which the object exists. But it never takes up all of the available area, even as the number of iterations becomes very large. And the proportion of the two-dimensional space it does take up as the number of iterations approaches infinity is its fractal dimension. In the case of the Koch snowflake, the fractal dimension turns out to be about 1.262, and the area of the snowflake converges on eight-fifths of the area of the original triangle. Now let's elaborate on the term strange attractor mentioned above. This is the concept from fractal geometry that most helps us to see why natural phenomena can be so unpredictable. An attractor is any set of points around which the results of a dynamical process may gather. Think, for example, of coyotes and rabbits, or any other predator-prey relationship. If there are a lot of rabbits, coyotes will kill and eat a lot of them, leading to an increase in the number of coyotes. 
But since there now aren't as many rabbits left, they will become more difficult for the coyotes to find, and this puts the brakes on the number of coyotes who can survive and reproduce. Fewer coyotes then leads to more rabbits, and so on in a repetitive, dynamical process. The proportions of rabbits and coyotes will set in, settle in around a set of figures, and this set of figures is an attractor, and in fact a strange attractor. Examples of even simpler attractors would be planets with moons orbiting, or stars with planets orbiting, or galactic centers with stars orbiting. An attractor is a strange attractor if the results of the dynamical process take on a fractal nature. A particularly beautiful graphical example of a strange attractor is the Lorenz attractor. Yes, that Lorenz. Look it up in Wikipedia or on YouTube. An amazing fact about a strange attractor is that the pathways it produces as a result of the dynamical process never coincide exactly even though they can be very close together. It also demonstrates the idea of fractal dimension, in that the integer spatial dimension will never be completely filled by the figure being generated. The qualitative nature of a dynamical process centering upon a strange attractor has the feature of sensitive dependence on initial conditions, sometimes referred to as the butterfly effect. What are the implications of the butterfly effect on the effectiveness of forecasting? Let us say, for example, that you would like to make a forecast of some future state of the economy based on measurements of the values of the variables in the current state of the economy, such as output, employment, investment, etc. We all know, of course, from long-said experience that economic forecasting is notoriously unreliable. A famous quip is that the only thing economic forecasters have so far accomplished is to make weather forecasting look respectable. The principle of sensitive dependence on initial conditions gives us insight into why it has been, is now, and always will be true that economic forecasting is so intractable and would still be intractable even if we were to get better and better at modeling the relationships among variables. The problem, in a nutshell, is that the current value of each economic variable must be measured with infinite precision in order for the forecast to produce results you can trust. If we had an infinite amount of time to make the measurements, we might be able to approach infinite precision, but it should be obvious that we cannot do anything like that in practice. So you think we can control outcomes. As a starting point, you would need a reliable forecast, and it only gets harder after you do that. One more reason to conclude that control is an illusion. The more you think about it, the more wisdom you ought to see in Friedrich Hayek's comment that the curious task of the economist is to explain to people how little they understand about that which they propose to control. Thanks to Bojalasta and my earthling friend Paul for this essay. Be sure to have a listen to the next installment. 
Please provide feedback to these podcasts if you are so inclined. You may contact me by sending an email to our senior contributing editor, Prego Donata. Prego Donata at gmail.com. Live long and prosper.